today we are going to ski the course. We're going out the freeway to the water tank and then some fun stuff on the way back. Mary Ellen Benier is the head coach of the Tahoe Truckee High School Nordic Ski Team. We're at the Auburn Ski Club where they're gearing up for their last big race of the year. It's February. Okay, let's loop it up, you guys. Loops right here and then turn back at the shack. The teens live about half an hour from Lake Tahoe. It's not always a beautiful snowy day like this. We had to reschedule our interview a few times because there was no snow for so long. Bring your hands in. Like this? Yeah, I know to have it. And think of that elbow thing we were talking about the other day. Twin brothers Ben and Evan Anderson are on the team. They're 15. And they say the changes in snow often keep them from practicing and competing. Here's Evan. In eighth grade, which was two, three years ago? 2017. 2017, we had like a huge year. We had like 13 snow days, so a ton of, just like a ton of snow. Um, and then the past two years have been pretty dry. They've moved races back, and we haven't really skied until after like December. So now we're starting to ski in January and stopping in March. But something else has riled up the student athletes. The fact that the representative in Congress, Tom McClintock, doesn't believe in human-caused climate change. Jenna Elliott was on the team. The team as a group wrote a letter to our congressman and he wrote back a few months later just kind of dismissing it. We'll hear directly from McClintock later. But the students say they want him to support policies that positively impact the environment. Things like stopping oil and gas exploration and increasing green energy options. Here's a bit of what McClintock sent them. Dear Jenna, thank you for contacting me regarding global climate change. I firmly believe that the United States should not hamstring its economy in an attempt to combat global warming. The Earth's climate is constantly... What was going on inside of you when, when he told you that? I mean, I was just kind of angry. I mean, it's his job to represent us and the needs of the district and the people who live here as well as just keeping in mind like what's best for the country as a whole um, and that that can't be just ignoring what is obviously a massive problem. These aren't just theories anymore. I don't want the snow to go away. Yes, Tahoe will change. I kind of feel like that endangered pika. Tahoe doesn't control climate change. It's a victim of it. From Capital Public Radio, this is Tahoe Land. It had always snowed by the third weekend in September, but that doesn't happen anymore. I want to see our forest restored so that Tahoe doesn't burn the way Paradise did. Chasing the snow is a huge part. It's about the lake, that's why everyone's here. There are a lot of green lakes. There aren't very many blue ones. I'm Ezra David Romero. This squabble between the teens and their elected official echoes what I've heard over and over again while reporting in Tahoe. The students feel that if 97% of climate scientists agree that climate warming trends over the past century are very likely due to human activities, why aren't more federal officials acknowledging this and taking action? When it comes to politics, Tahoe is a blue island in a sea of red. At least it is on the California side of the lake. One thing that caught my attention while spending time there in the last year was that people you wouldn't expect are getting into the political game. And they're doing this because of the climate crisis. But don't worry, we're not going to get too in the weeds when it comes to politics. This episode is also about seeing the lake differently. What if we thought of Lake Tahoe as part of our identity instead of just a place we visit? Welcome to Tahoe Land.
Devin Middlebrook was 29 when he decided to jump into politics because of climate change. He's from South Lake Tahoe, but he felt like politicians in D.C. didn't care about what's happening out on the lake. Our voice often gets drowned out at that level and not taken serious because we are such a small portion of the larger district. But that's not stopping us from acting here locally, um, doing things we do have control over. Devin ran for South Lake Tahoe City Council on the platform of climate change, and it worked. He took office in 2018. There really wasn't an elected official at the city that was really championing for the environment, that was raising the alarms, that was trying to push things forward. And it was to the point, it was like, someone's got to do it. Since then, he's made climate change a top priority in their strategic plan. That includes everything from a pledge to use 100% renewable energy to large solar projects, and even an energy action plan for each part of the city. And look, he thinks differently about Tahoe than the average politician. Obviously, I think it would be amazing to have South Lake Tahoe be carbon neutral. Um, and, and really, we could actually become a carbon sink. And, and absorb, because we have our forests, because we have our environment, we can actually store carbon and, and remove carbon from the, more carbon from the atmosphere than we're producing. But something that Devin recognizes is that there are aspects of climate change that Tahoe can't fix. On the other side, it's about being able to adapt to climate change because while we play our part and we have our peace, um, there's a lot of other things going on in the planet that we can't control. So being ready for the changes we know are coming. Devin wasn't the first, and he's not alone when it comes to running for office under the banner of climate change. In fact, there's a whole group of grassroots activists dedicated to getting people in office locally. One of them is Bonnie Turnbull. She was elected to the South Lake Tahoe School Board in 2016. You know, I was brought up with the idea, you clean up your mess. And I looked at my own daughter who was in high school at the time, and I'm thinking, this is what we're leaving you. Um, I'd, I don't want to be responsible for that, so I owe it to you. It felt imperative that I do everything I could to protect her future. And climate change is one of the biggest impacts I see in her future. Bonnie understands the big picture, but says there are simple things we can do in schools, like transitioning to LED lights. I feel like part of my job is to keep our eyes on this, and I would like our district, and I, I would say the board supports that we only we use only as much energy as we can produce, carbon neutral. Bonnie inspired Nick Exline to do the same with public utilities. Three years ago, he ran for a board seat on the South Tahoe Public Utility District, but he didn't win. And I was warned repeatedly, repeatedly, don't just talk about climate change. But that wasn't my end. I, I suppose in that 2016, my, my vision was not to win. My vision was to get people to talk about climate change and use that as my format to allow it to happen. Because the, the utility district that I was running for was the biggest um, public user of energy in the area. Two years later, Nick won. Since then, cities and agencies around the region signed 100% renewable resolutions. His main goal now is to transition the utility district to more renewable energy. He's also focused on wildfires. He doesn't want a blaze like the campfire to ignite in Tahoe. Because, you know, in the, in the near term, the, the greatest threat we face as a community here in South Lake um, as a result of climate change is fire. Okay, so there's clearly this tension in Tahoe. Locals are running for office because they feel disconnected from the people that represent them in Washington, at least when it comes to climate change. But are McClintock's views really that different from what some locals believe? I wanted to understand this, so I made an appointment to meet with him.
Hey. Come on in. How's it going? Hey, Mr. Romero. Uh, yeah. Hey, yeah. good to meet you. Congressman Mr. Romero. Very good. Hi, how do you do? I'm at Congressman Tom McClintock's office in Roseville, which is about two hours west of Tahoe. Having a good day? Uh, I had a blow it on the freeway, so I lost a half hour that I didn't have to lose today. So. McClintock's territory covers a huge portion of the Sierra Nevada. It runs from Sequoia National Park up past Tahoe. Because so many people I interviewed are mad about his views on climate change, I decided to ask him about this. They feel like that you don't believe in it, and they're wondering why. Come on. The climate has been changing for four and a half billion years. It's the only thing that is consistent uh, uh, is that uh, the climate is changing. It always changes. I found it interesting that McClintock doesn't think he's a climate change denier, even though many people in his district feel like he consistently votes against clean energy and other policies that benefit the environment, such as the Climate Action Now Act, which would have required the president to commit to parts of the Paris Climate Agreement. So what's your response to them when they say, because they're like pretty vehement, like this guy doesn't believe in climate change, but you're saying you do. Well, that's that's a mantra for them. Uh, yeah. uh, where we differ is to what extent this is natural forces and to what extent uh, uh, this is, is man-made. To say that human-produced carbon dioxide is driving all this, I think is a very, very far reach. But is it a very far reach? Scientists working in the Tahoe Basin say having these beliefs about climate change is pretty much bogus. Let's take a break from my conversation with McClintock to go back to one I had earlier in the podcast. It was with Dan McAvoy and Ben Hatchett. They're scientists with the Desert Research Institute in Reno, and they study snow. I snowshoed with them at Donner Summit. Can we really say that humans are not causing the climate crisis? Here's Dan and Ben. I don't think that you can actually believe or not believe in it anymore because there's so much recent research that has proven these these aren't just theories anymore they're they're proven if you kind of naysay it you you basically don't believe in science at that point (laughs) whether or not you believe in climate change or not i might believe in the easter bunny but i accept gravity it's not about a belief it's about an acceptance of a reality of the physical universe that we exist in Okay, so we know that McClintock doesn't believe humans have a role in the climate crisis. And he's opposed to things like the Paris Climate Agreement, like many other conservatives, including the president. But he says he believes in a certain kind of climate change. And if that's true, what's he doing about it? I want to see our forests restored so that Tahoe doesn't burn the way Paradise did last year. That is a grave concern. This has been one of my top priorities uh, since I was first elected. People I spoke to with CAL FIRE and the Forest Service say McClintock has helped fast-track forest thinning projects that could prevent a fire from spreading in the Tahoe Basin. An untended forest is just like an untended garden. Uh, uh, An untended forest will grow and grow until it chokes itself to death. Uh, It will be consumed by disease, pestilence, uh, drought, and ultimately catastrophic fire. Why can't we agree on that? Why can't we agree? There's this disconnect between some locals and their representatives in Congress. But who are these voters? Here to help me break down voter demographics in Tahoe is podcast producer Sally Schilling. Hey, Sally. Hey, Ezra. So let's break it down. What's the political makeup in Tahoe? 
Well, it's a little tricky to figure out because the lake spans two states and five counties. But looking at all the voter registration numbers, there are definitely more registered Republicans than Democrats in all of the counties that surround Lake Tahoe. Yeah, California is known as a very blue state, and Nevada is traditionally known as a red state, though that's starting to turn blue. Democrat Jackie Rosen defeated Republican incumbent Dean Heller for his Nevada Senate seat, making the two senators from Nevada both Democrats. Yeah, Nevada just elected its first Democrat to the governor's office in decades. And yes, California is known as very blue, especially on the coast. But inland and up in rural areas of the Sierra Nevada, it's known to be more conservative. When you look at these counties around Tahoe, as a whole, they trend red, or at least slightly red. But if you zoom into the communities that surround the lake on the California side, they're mostly blue. Maybe the fact that people live near the lake and are tied to their ecosystem has them voting more for environmental or blue politicians. Yeah, that could be. But voters are super complicated and there's so many issues out there, right? It's hard to pinpoint one thing. But another factor definitely is money. I talked to Derek Kunekis about this. He's an associate professor at Ohio University, and he used to do research around Tahoe on environmental policy for the University of Nevada, Reno. He says Tahoe is becoming a region where the wealthy are flocking to, and that maybe that can tell us something about attitudes around climate change. Generally, people with more money and higher levels of education um, are willing to accept climate change as human caused. As we mentioned, Zuckerberg just bought a house up there recently, so it's becoming an enclave of the, of the ultra-wealthy as well. He's talking about Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, right? Yep, Zuckerberg actually just bought two huge mansions on the California side of Tahoe for 59 million bucks. But Derek says there's also wealthy Californians who buy houses on the Nevada side, and that's to avoid California taxes. And those people can be more fiscally conservative. So this is all to say there are definitely more blue pockets around Tahoe, but it's really a mixed bag politically. But this doesn't necessarily say how people feel about keeping Tahoe blue or like supporting the environment, right? Right. What's interesting with the Keep Tahoe Blue and Lake Clarity movement specifically is Derek says no matter the political leaning, people really seem to be all on the same page about this. Everything at Lake Tahoe revolves around Lake Clarity. Generally, when you talk to people, um, including the business community, they will say the environmental policies have worked here. We value the lake. We recognize the value of the lake. They've worked. I wish there was another way we could have done it, but they've somewhat worked. Yeah, for businesses, it's their livelihood, right? It's why people live and visit and work and even come to play here. Totally. But it wasn't always this way where everyone was on the same page. At first, businesses were not too happy about having to spend more money on preventing their pollution from going into the water. For example, it was really expensive for logging companies to make sure all the water they were using was clean. And this is sort of what McClintock was touching on when he responded to the ski team's letter that, you know, maybe these clean energy policies or other environmental policies are going to be bad for business, bad for the economy. But after decades of protecting Lake Tahoe and reports showing improvement on Lake Clarity, Derek told me even the businesses got on board with preserving Lake Clarity. Yeah, I think that's why this whole Tahoe Clarity thing is such an interesting case study. It's easy to understand, whereas climate change can be so hard to wrap your head around. And like, how does it impact your life? 
Yeah, and on top of that, this environmental policy is actually being linked to a growing economy. A study out of University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire looked at home prices around 60 lakes in northern Wisconsin. They found that for every three feet of lake clarity, home prices around the lakes would increase anywhere from eight to $32,000. Oh, that's a lot of money. Maybe this is the case activists need to make to conservative politicians like McClintock. Maybe, but it's hard to say if that would really change his perspective. Many conservatives are holding the line against climate policies right now. All right. Well, thanks for talking politics with us, Sally. Thanks, Ezra. We've been talking about politics a lot, but now let's look at something different. People finding ways around their elected officials. Sally's going to tell this part of the story. I want to talk about the rights of nature movement. Activists in this movement want to see their local environment protected, and we're tired of politicians not having their backs. So they asked, what if we gave our ecosystems the same rights as people? Seagal Samuel is a staff writer for Vox who has written about this. We're just really not used to the idea of nature having legal personhood rights, but we're, we're just sort of all used to the idea that corporations do. Um, and so arguably, you know, it makes just as much sense to grant those rights to a river or a forest. So can a lake like Tahoe have its own rights? Well, there is the case of Lake Erie. People living near this lake saw their drinking water cut off because of pollution and algae in the lake. They wanted to make sure algae blooms wouldn't come back and harm them. So they created the Lake Erie Bill of Rights. Voters passed it in a special election in 2019. And they uh, sort of came up with this notion that Lake Erie could maybe be granted the sort of legal rights that we normally reserve for a person. This would allow people to sue on behalf of the lake if they felt like its rights were being violated, although it's currently tied up in the courts. Lake Erie isn't the first case of legal rights being granted to an ecosystem. In recent years, Ecuador enshrined the rights of nature into its constitution, and other governments around the world have granted legal rights to forests, rivers, and even a type of wild rice. Seagal says the movement is in its early stages, so it's hard to say how much impact it will have. But she says it's spreading a sort of paradigm shift in how many people think about nature. In the Western modern world, we're really used to thinking of nature as property, as something that's ours for the taking. But what the activists in the Rights of Nature movement want us to do is start really shifting how we think about nature. Instead of viewing it as property, they want us to view it as something that has rights in and of itself rights that we can't just come along and take whenever we feel like it. So that's a really, really um, non-capitalist, non-market-based way of thinking about the environment. That's very new for, uh, for many of us, most of us, I would say, in the modern Western world. This idea of Lake Tahoe being a person isn't actually that new. It's kind of like how the indigenous people of Tahoe view the lake. I'm talking about the Washu tribe. They value Tahoe as you would a friend or a family member, instead of just as a resource. Yeah, and you know on this side of the lake, the water's so clear. Yeah, yeah. It's so beautiful and clear and like, just perfect. Helen Fillmore and I are hiking on the east side of Lake Tahoe to a place called Skunk Harbor. It's a challenging hike, but the water here is turquoise and stunning. 
It's also known for chipmunks. Oh, there's a chipmunk too. <laughs> They're everywhere. Chipmunk in our, our language is Utsali. Skunk Harbor is important to the Washu people because parts of it are managed by the tribe. It's one of the few places they feel like they have ownership of around the lake, even though they have thousands of years of history in the Tahoe Basin. So what does the lake mean to you? Oh, everything. <laughs> everything. Um, the lake itself is uh, its what gave us life. It's what gives us life. Gosh, it's hard to not even, it's hard to not get emotional thinking about that, but the lake is what sustained us for thousands of years. The tribe used the lake during the summer as a haven from the heat and as a fishing and gathering place. I say this all the time, but if people thought about the lake, how our people think about the lake, um, how we're raised to think about the lake, we wouldn't be suffering a lot of the issues that we're currently suffering. If they thought about our homelands the way we value our homelands, then we wouldn't be talking about mitigating climate change because it wouldn't be an issue that at all, in a way. Helen says Native Americans just want to be part of the conversation. She thinks their traditions can help out with modern-day issues like climate change. Again, we've got thousands of years of experience on this land and what it takes to maintain it for future generations. I think that experience will contribute to doing what's best for everybody. And so if the land's not healthy, we're not healthy. If we're not healthy, the land's not healthy. And so there's a literal connection within our own understanding of, of the lake and of the basin and of the, all of the plants and animals that depend on it. So here we are again, back at the lake. It's why we're even doing this podcast. For me, Tahoe is spiritual. When you walk towards a lake and you reach that place where the land meets the water, something about that simple moment changes me every time. Perhaps it's just the expanse, the gentle wind, the birds in the air, and the lapping of the water. But the peace that comes over me and the feeling that I am part of Tahoe is what Helen's alluding to. It's what's worth preserving, and it's what's remained as Tahoe's gone through so much change. And it's what's at risk of disappearing as the global climate crisis worsens. That's why there's so many people working to keep Tahoe from going down a dark path. But it's still unclear if enough is being done. We recorded a live conversation in Tahoe recently. And we invited a lot of the people you've already heard in this podcast. And we had this one big question, you know, is enough being done? We explored that in our final episode. And per usual, don't forget to stick around after the credits for our Tahoe tidbit. This time, we look at the history of presidents coming to Tahoe. Tahoe Land is edited by Nick Miller. Sally Schilling is our podcast producer. Our digital editor is Chris Hagen. Casey Sycamore is collecting your questions about Tahoe and answering them. Emily Zentner is Tahoe Land's data reporter. Our website is built by Renee Thompson, Veronica Nagy, and Katie Kidwell. Linnea Edmire is the executive editor, and our associate producer is Gabriela Fernandez. And I want to give a big shout out to Paul Mitchell. He's the vice president of Political Data Inc., and he helped us map out voters in Tahoe. Our music is by artist Charles I. He's from Tahoe. To make sure you don't miss out on any episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Check out our website, capradio.org slash Tahoeland, for videos, photos, additional stories, and more. 
I'm Ezra David Romero. Thanks for listening to Tahoe Land from Capital Public Radio. Every year, a unique political event is held in South Lake. It's called the Lake Tahoe Summit. Local representatives from Congress typically attend, and this year the governors from both Nevada and California showed up. But when it comes to presidents, they don't always represent. I'm Gabriela Fernandez, and I help produce Tahoe Land. There have been 23 summits, but a U.S. president has only attended twice. Of course, they were the keynote speakers. In 1997, President Bill Clinton spoke. By working together and understanding what our forebears knew centuries ago, we cannot divide our quest for prosperity from our obligation to hand nature, God's great gift to us, on down to the generations. At the time, Clinton had only touched on the idea of climate change, but In recent years, it has become the key topic of discussion. To commemorate the summit's 20th anniversary, President Barack Obama made an appearance in 2016, and he actually spoke about climate change. You know, when scientists first told us that our planet was changing because of human activity, it was received as a bombshell, but in a way, we shouldn't have been surprised. The most important changes are always the changes made by us. Tahoe has gotten a lot of attention from other presidents in years past. When Washington, D.C. did not support making Tahoe a national park in the 1960s, the governors and lawmakers of California and Nevada got together to approve a bi-state compact. This agreement ultimately created the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency, which focuses on preservation in the region. When it was approved in 1969, President Richard Nixon Governor Ronald Reagan and Governor Paul Laxalt of Nevada, all Republicans, had signed off on it. This year, the summit was in August, and there was still somewhat a bipartisan spirit. For instance, Senator Dianne Feinstein had this to say about Republican Congressman Tom McClintock. So, Congressman, I want to thank you so much for your care and concern for this lake. I think you have helped forge the bipartisan partnership which exists here today. From the White House to the governor's office, Republicans to Democrats, and for decades, political leaders have professed their commitment to protecting the Tahoe Basin, regardless of political party. For Tahoe Land, I'm Gabriela Fernandez.